This is Real Estate Rookie episode 257. Something else to think about, Lawrence, as you're submitting some of these offers is to give the sellers different options. Um, so for example, we're trying to buy a hotel over the summer and we gave them different options on the seller finance deal that we were putting together. One had a higher price point with slightly higher interest, but a, a lower down payment. Another option had a higher down payment, but then the, the other terms were a little bit more favorable for us. So I think, you know, if you want to get to where you're putting down no more than you said 15% or 7% based on what they said, offer that as another option. And maybe even if it's a slightly higher purchase price, um, it still works out better for you because the, the down payment is going to be smaller. My name is Ashley Kerr, and I'm here with my co-host, Tony Robinson. And welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, where every week, twice a week, we bring you the inspiration, motivation, and stories you need to hear to kickstart your investing journey. And today, I want to shout out a very special person from the Rookie audience. This person goes by the username, TheHandyMan317. And Handyman loves to say five-star review in Apple Podcasts. It says, thank you with a big exclamation mark. Definitely one of my favorite weekly podcasts. I'm a contractor, and I set a goal to start investing in 2023 for myself, after listening to your podcast. Well, listening to your podcast weekly, I gained my confidence and already finished a flip and bought a duplex to hold on all in 2022. I appreciate the service you guys provide and thank you so much for helping me reach my goals. So much free knowledge on this show. So Handyman317, kudos to you for, for kind of listening and, and taking advice and, and taking action, man. That's uh, the biggest piece. So if you guys haven't yet left us an honest rating or review, please do more views we get, the more people we can help, the more people we can help, the more stories we get like Candyman317. Ashley Care, what's up? How are you? Good. I got uh, two closings today that I'm excited about. I'm selling a property. A busy day. And then um, I'm actually using the proceeds to pay off another property. So Isn't that like how it goes? A, yeah, I like to keep a couple free and clear. So uh, just transferring money over and then um i'm actually closing on a refinance for the a-frame property i remodeled can we let's talk about that just really quickly so you got you got yep. the the refi right so everyone like refis have dried up tremendously like almost almost no one's doing a refi right now so like can you share like what's the reason behind this refinance and why you have to do it right now yeah and actually the process has been so fast I can't believe it compared to trying to refinance the last two last years when year. yeah. lenders have been overwhelmed with people wanting to refinance. Uh, but yeah, so I had purchased the property with hard money and um, my hard money isn't due for, I think, two more months maybe. And um, so what um, I rehabbed it, I used cash to actually rehab the property and now I want to pull my cash pack out and we're going to pay off the hard money lender today. So we're going to refinance with a small local bank. Um, and yeah, so then we're just going to have our fixed rate. It's going to be over 20 years amortized and fixed rate for five years. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's at a 7.4% interest rate. That was my next question, which which isn't terrible, right? Like, no, no. Uh, you know, I've seen definitely, definitely worse than that. So cool. I'm excited. Yeah. A-Frame's a almost done. So that's like the last step for so the A-Frame, right? it's done. Yeah, yeah. That's everything. Yeah, it's done. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, there you go. Well, we got a good show for today. We got our, our mentees coming back on. So you guys get to hear a quick update from Brandon, Lawrence, and Melanie. Um, and each one of them is kind of like in a in a different phase. And we, we kind of dig into what each person is kind of struggling with. Brandon, I think, and we talk about this a little bit, the, the biggest thing holding him back is just fear. 
And he kind of led into that by just saying he, he's fearful of what could happen if he does kind of keep moving forward with this. You get to hear us break that that piece down. Lawrence was a man on a mission the last couple of weeks. He did a whole bunch yeah. of stuff. So we kind of get to hear what, what Lawrence was up to you. But Lawrence was a little stuck on kind of how to structure some of these offers that he's putting out to folks. Uh, so we kind of walked through that. And then Melanie, she had a bit of a, a panic attack <laughs> uh, with, with her investing situation. So we break through. She's very relatable to me. <laughs> yeah, totally. Right. And, and she talks through how she kind of had a freak out moment and how she walked herself off the ledge and, and how she's now moving forward with some confidence. And Ash and I gave some advice on what we feel the, uh, she should be doing as well. So each person kind of in a different situation, but um, hopefully each one of these stories helps our Ricky listeners uh, know that there are other people going through the same things that, the, that they're going through as well. Yeah. And if you guys haven't already, please hype up our mentees in the Real Estate Rookie Facebook group because they're out here sharing it all with you guys. And sometimes that's that's hard to do, um, especially as a new investor. Very unsure is admitting what you don't know and how you're feeling about investing. So uh, make sure you guys are hyping them up and give them tons of encouragement as we go along for the next 90 days. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal Do Not Call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Brandon, welcome back to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast. How have you been? Good. Good to be back. I'm brave in the cold up here. <laughs> Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you've been up to since you were last on? Um, so since last time, I've definitely gotten more narrowed down on the buy box 
um, and analyzing properties. Got went and went through a lot more houses, um, just more adding more consistency and just seeing what's out there for the price points I've been looking and just getting more of a feel for what's been out there, looking at everything that's new to market. And did you put together an offer on any of those properties you analyzed or looked at? Um, no one, no written offers yet. Um, <laughs> and working on one that walked through and um, just wasn't really interested at the price point and condition of the property. Um, but they've actually been emailing back, just wanting us to offer anything or whatever we're thinking. Because it sounds like it's sitting still and the feedback's been about the same as mine was. One, uh, so one call out, Brandon. So you, you said they're not interested at the price point and the condition, but what that lets us you know understand is that there probably is a price point at that condition where that property makes sense for you. And I, I think the, the challenge from Ashley and I is figure out what that price point is. And regardless of what they're asking, just submit the offer at that price point. Um, there was a property that I actually just got under contract like less than 24 hours ago. Um, I'd initially submitted my offer and uh, it was significantly below asking and the buyers didn't even counter. They just said flat out said no. Um, then they came back to me last week and said, hey, Tony, uh, will you meet us in the middle? And I said no. And then they came back to me less than 24 hours ago and said, okay, fine, we'll, we'll accept your offer. So that's that's kind of where we're at in the cycle right now is that as the buyer, even if you're asking prices significantly lower than what they're asking for, and you know, obviously this is going to vary by the market, but a lot of times if there's not enough interest, especially if the condition of the property is is not you know super turnkey, it gives you more leverage as the buyer. So I would say submit that offer whatever price makes sense for you. Even if they say no today, there's a chance that that property still in the market, you know, 14, 30, 45 days from now, now they're going to come back to you and say, hey, Brandon, your, your offer looks a whole lot better now. Okay. So what are some other things that you think are kind of holding you back um, from getting the next deal? Um, I guess biggest thing is just I haven't been writing offers on stuff. I need to sit down and work backwards from what it needs and find that purchase price to offer on, even if it's well off what they're asking and not be worried about just ticking them off, I guess. But Ashley, can I, let me ask you a question, Ash. Have you ever submitted an offer that was so low that the seller said, I don't care what your next offer is. I don't ever want to hear from you again. Um, I've no, I've never had that bad. It was more of just like no response that the agent has said, my seller isn't going to even acknowledge that offer. <laughs> <laughs> but had you come back with a different offer, they probably would have acknowledged it, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I've never... And, you know, maybe maybe it's happened somewhere, but I've never personally met an investor who said, you know what, Tony, my first offer was so low and I offended the seller so much. They refused to listen to any other offer that I had after that first one. So I think a, a lot of new investors have this fear around kind of pissing off the seller and, and them being offended and all these other things. But at the end of the day, if you give them a number that makes sense, like they're they're going to look at it. So. Don't try and make that decision for the seller. I think the bigger thing for you, Brandon, is to do the numbers, figure out what works for you, and then put the onus on the seller to decide if they should be offended or not from there. And there's so many times people make those lowball offers where they work. Yeah. they The seller accepts it, and it's like, oh my gosh, I didn't expect that, but yay, they accepted my offer. So you never know the reason for somebody selling and and money may not be a reason at all, or maybe they don't understand what the value of their house is, or it's just convenience to sell it to the first person that puts an offer in. So 
just keep putting, yeah, keep putting together offers and submitting them. Because, and then if you're putting in your, you know, putting in an inspection period, it's giving you that second chance to go through the property and make sure your number's correct too. Yeah, I think one last piece of advice, and this is again something that's happened with me on a deal that we're working on right now. Um, we're trying to buy some land uh, to build our our primary residence. Like we want land, and like land is super limited where I live in California, like super super rare. And um, I've been talking with the agent who listed the land, and same as you, like he was like, "Oh, you know, the seller doesn't even want to entertain that offer." But I kind of got the feeling that the agent wasn't even presenting my offer to the actual owner. Um, so what I did is I, I looked up the land, I skipped Tracy owner's contact information. I called them myself last week and I said, Hey, my name is Tony. You know, I've, I've submitted a couple offers. Like has, has your agent even shared my name with you? And the seller or the, the seller was like, I, I don't know. It doesn't sound super familiar. So what I'm gathering is that my offer was so low, it didn't quite fit with the agent's needs, but I talked to the, the actual owner of the property and now he and I have a very open dialogue and he's actually open to the offer that I presented. So um, if you do feel that you're getting a little bit of that, sometimes you might have to circumvent the agent to to talk right to right to the owner. And then Brandon, when you're looking at a property too, think about other ways that that property could generate income where maybe you can increase your offer a little bit. So if it has a garage unit, can you charge an additional amount of rent uh, for the garage? Maybe even if there's a huge parking lot, can you uh, charge somebody to park their RV or their boat there over the winter? Things like that. So try and find different ways to increase the income. Or maybe if you're looking at um, a property that's going to have, you know, multiple residents in it, is having a coin-operated washer and dryer in the basement or somewhere on the property, too, and make some income off of that, too. So try and think of different ways to generate income off the property. Okay. Brandon, one, one last question for you, man. When you, when you think about uh, like submitting those offers, is it more so fear around what the seller's response might be? Like, is, is it that you're analyzing a bunch of deals, but you're just afraid to submit the offers because you don't want to upset the seller? Or is it that you feel like you're not analyzing enough deals to, to begin with? Like which one of those issues do you think is a big one for you right now? No, I do think it is out of fear of rejection, like you had said, or it getting accepted and then wondering what uh, it didn't account for oh, yeah. type of thing. Um, or even having multiple offers that aren't high probabilities and having both of those accepted. All right, let, let, let's break down both of those. Let's break down <laughs> both of those, right? So your first one was, what happens if, if they accept my offer, but there are things that I didn't account for? Like, just walk through, like, what do you think you would actually do in that situation? Like, say that someone accepts one of your your offers, and now you're you're in escrow, you're doing your due diligence period. Like, what steps can you take to make sure that those unknowns get accounted for somehow? Um, I guess biggest things would be uh, roofing inspectors and contractors to look over things and make sure the numbers I was estimating or planning for are at least close. One thing you can do is put in a longer due diligence period. So a longer inspection period and ask for multiple times to have access to the property. So if you're instead of doing, you know, having an, one inspector come in, if you want actual contractors to come in and bid it out, if you don't think you're going to be able to get them all right there at the property, same day, same time, then extend out your in your contract and in your initial offer, put in, you know, a longer period of time and ask to have access as needed to the property and, you know, maybe with 24 hours notice if there's, you know, tenants in place or even the homeowner living there. 
that way you can kind of schedule out, okay, over the next two weeks, I have the roofing guy coming this way to give me an estimate. I have these other contractors coming in to give me estimates on Thursday and go through kind of like a process like that. And then you're going to get those hardball estimates. And just before you bring the contractors in, though, when you're scheduling them, ask them to what their turnaround time is on an estimate to make sure that they're going to get you the information back to before that due diligence period is up to. And you probably have a lot of contacts from your business too, right? From work, from your work. Yeah. Like, uh, you probably run into a lot of other vendors. Yeah. That's numbers that I'm a hundred percent sure. And then, cause I did them. <laughs> <laughs> but even too, do you run into other contractors on jobs or things like that? Or even, you know, your employer, he probably knows other people in different specialty skills too, that he could kind of, you know, connect you with. Yeah. I've made decent friends and basically all the big trades. Um, it's a huge advantage. But not so much like uh, cabinets or like a contractor overall. Yeah. And then Brandon, the, the second thing you mentioned was what happens if you get two properties, like two offers accepted? Um, like that That's actually, and, and it's a reasonable concern to have because I think when you haven't done your first deal, like the idea of getting two at one time is like, oh my God, like what, what am I going to do with that? But just say you were in that situation, like what options do you think you'd have? I'm trying to come up with the money a different way. See if seller financing is an option for them at all. It's because like the summer when I would did a couple offers, but I would always wait to hear. And then with how last summer was, the other properties I was interested in were already gone before I heard back on the first one. So if if you're ever in a situation where you have two properties under contract or or two offers accepted, first thing is that, yeah, I would think I, I would try and do whatever I can to close on both of those deals. So I would try and look for a partner. Um, your idea of the creative finance is another great solution. Um, but like, say for whatever reason, you you realize you can't take both deals down. All you have to do is look at which one of those two deals you like more and then walk away from the the other one, right? So if you have a property that's under contract uh, or that you submit an offer on a property um, and it comes back, before, as long as you're not like submitting your EMD and, and kind of kicking off the whole escrow and title process, you can still walk away from that deal. So don't feel like you're automatically obligated to close in that deal. Uh, most sellers, I think, would understand like, hey, sorry, I had another offer that came in that, that was accepted. And I think they would understand that as a, legit- as a legitimate reason to not move forward with that purchase. So um, don't be too concerned about that piece. Okay. So Tony, what do you think that Brandon's next uh, step should be? Do you think we should have him write some more offers, kind of get over that hurdle? Yeah, I want to see one low ball offer submitted by Brandon between today and the next time we speak. Okay. And work in that inspection period if that's going to make you feel more comfortable. But I think that there is some kind of like fear holding you back. And I mean, it's completely legitimate. Like, oh my, what if I don't run the numbers correctly? Or what if I don't account for something? But that's why you're going to have your uh, due diligence period to really like break down everything and make sure that that's the right number for you. And of course, you can't protect against everything. So make sure that you have whatever you're offering on. It's still going to leave you some reserves even after going in and doing some rehab if necessary too. Okay. Think you can handle that, Brandon? Absolutely. Okay. Well, thanks so much. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks. I appreciate it again. Lawrence, welcome back to the show. Can you tell us what you've been up to the last couple of weeks? Yeah, of course. Uh, So I was able to do my homework, which consisted of watching those two amazing episodes with uh, Pace Morby. So I was able to get a good introduction 
to create a financing with subject to and seller financing. I'm more of leaning towards seller financing because right now sellers still have a good amount of equity in their properties, especially in this area. So, you know, PACE associated seller financing with gain. You know, what does the seller want to gain since he or she may already have the equity in the in the property? So my biggest hurdle is not falling into uh, analysis paralysis just because I do like to research different uh, concepts. I have started to go on to the MLS listings for rentals. And what I've started to do is that any rental that has been listed for over 30 days, I am trying to find the owners of those properties. I feel as though two things are happening in that situation. It's either a landlord who is tired of being a landlord um, or they are not local to the area and they've handed over that property to a property management company that's either not doing what they're supposed to be doing um, or they may be, you know, overpricing the property. So I was playing Spectre Gadget and um, I was able <laughs> to find one seller um, because there, there are a few right now that's on market. It's not a ton of, of aging rental properties on the market. And I had to dig because it was listed with like a realty um, company. And so I had to go to the county's website and find the seller. Anyway, I got the seller's phone number and email. Um, I reached out to him and um, he said that he's on vacation. So um, to try to get back to him in the middle of January. So I'm like, okay, well, at least I was able to, to contact him. And then it also lets me know that He's on vacation and he has a property that's listed for over 30 days. He may be inclined to, to selling the property because he's not worrying about it. Cash flowing right then and there. Um, another thing that I did was I reached out to a previous owner of a property that's uh, down the street from one of my rentals. He is about to rehab a property and he usually will either turn that rehab into a rental or he will sell it to a retail buyer. I reached out to him and say, hey, you know, I'm interested in getting another property with doing seller financing. Would it be something you're interested in doing? Um, He said that he would get back to me. So I'm like, "Okay, I'm tired of the I'll get back to you right now. That's promising. So I went back to the MLS. I did find a new listing that hit the market that's listed for seller financing. I contacted the realtor. However, um, I'm not too keen about the terms. So right now, that particular property, they want 10% interest, a 20% down payment, a minimum hold of three years and a payment penalty that's has not been decided. So because I normally buy single family homes, not owner occupied, I usually put down about 15%. And then when you add in the closing costs, it kind of goes up to 20%. So I am going to revisit to see if I can maybe do a um, an alternative offer. I'd rather not put 20% down on that particular property. Um, if it still cash flows with the 10% interest, I don't mind. And I don't mind the three-year hold because I am into the um, the long term. But from my homework with Pace, he prefers not to put down more than 7% on the on properties that are seller finance. And one of his biggest things that he's keen on would be to always cash flow. Um, so 
that has been what I've been up to. Again, I'm, I'm doing my research, but I, I want to take um, continue to take action. So my biggest next step, my biggest men's would be to have a living document, a Google document where I have a sheet for aging rentals that are over 30 days that are there are listed a sheet for properties that are on the MLS listed for sale for over 30 days. And I am just going to have to put the work in to contact those sellers and see what I can make happen. Lawrence, you've been busy. This is great. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the first thing I want to say is those terms on the seller financing, I mean, a bank's terms right now are going to be better than that. Um, you'll get less than 10%. Exactly. And it, and it just hit the market. And I mean, you know, it is turnkey ready. What, what I understand from their property is that it was a flip that won't sell right now. So because the very first thing that the um, the realtor said was, hey, um, we have different terms for a um, a retail buyer and an investor. And so I was like, OK, well, what's the terms for the investor? And those were the terms. And I just was like, hmm, you know, like, yeah. I think maybe what they're going after is probably somebody who has bad credit potentially and can't go to get a, a, the bank financing. That's actually my one business partner. Um, when he bought his first house, probably eight years ago, maybe ten years ago, I don't even know. He bought it from an investor who basically bought houses and seller financed them to people who had bad credit, and you know would charge them. He, he paid a ten percent interest rate, and then when he built his credit back up, he went and refinanced out of that loan. Exactly, and that's why I probably will have another conversation. Um, right now, I've worked hard while I'm not in that situation. I'm not going to mention my lender's information because this is not sponsored. But you know, I'm I can easily be underwritten by almost any any lender. All of my properties cash flow. I have a low debt to income ratio. I have great credit. So I want something that's going to beat bank terms. You know, I'm not going to put down more than fifteen percent if I can go to a lender and do that with about an eight percent loan. So I definitely. We have to get something very competitive if it's going to, you know, be seller financing. Yeah, I think um, you even said it yourself is to go back and put in an offer with different terms. It's not going to hurt anything, especially if they tried to sell it already. It hasn't sold. Um, putting in, I would put in lower than what the bank would be ever uh, would be able to offer you. Even go with Pace's advice and just do seven percent down. <laughs> um, I mean it. They're going to hold on to your offer. So if they don't get anybody else, I mean, you may be their only option. But I, I think like one of the reassuring things, Lawrence, is that you've already found a seller who is at least open to that idea. So there's some proof of concept there that this path you're going down could could end up working for you. It's just, OK, now how do we how do we get the right terms? Um, so you, you said you've been looking at like uh, the the rentals that have been aging uh, have you looked at all at listings that were uh, like properties that were listed for sale, but that didn't sell? So like on PropStream, there's like a failed listing filter that you can look at. Have you explored those at all? That's my my next list that I'm I'm building uh, per se that I'm going to be looking at. I started with with the rentals first. But yes. Uh, so like I said, I'm going to have that living uh, Google Drive document or something of that nature where I have one sheet that lists all of the aging rentals and then another sheet that will list all of the um, aging properties for sale. And I do have another realtor that I've reached out with, uh, reached out to, and I've pretty much told that realtor if 
she's able to bring me a seller finance deal that I would pay um, her commission on it. Because I think that bucket of owners, um, they they might be even more open to the idea of seller financing uh, because they, they just tried to sell the property, right? And they, they potentially did it unsuccessfully. So they might have a little bit more motivation to, to go out and do that. Um, second question for you, Lawrence, are you, are you looking in just like in, in the same market that you've been investing in, or are you open to, you know, maybe more remote markets as well? Uh, right now, I would say that my risk tolerance is more of where I'm local to, especially because I am a self-managing landlord. Uh, so my properties right now are within a mile of each other. So that definitely cuts, it out, cuts down on maintenance where I can have like one local roofer, one local plumber to be able to get there and then me, you know, towards prospects and lease them out. So as of right now, um, I want to do at least probably five to seven deals where it's really local. Um, this would be my fourth deal, hopefully, um, by, you know, the end of this uh, <laughs> mentorship program. So right now I'm, I'm wanting to stay uh, local to my area, kind of dominate, dominate and monopolize this area. I love that approach. Yeah, I, I think maybe just looking at some of those fail listings through PropStream or, you know, you can go on Zillow or wherever and, and manually pull that, but that would probably open you up to a few more um, owners that um, that might be open to seller financing. There's also the website landwatch.com. Have you heard of that, Lawrence? Uh, Pace uses it a lot, too, and there is over 12,000 listings right now that already say that they'll do seller financing Wow! on Landwatch. Awesome. So that's a, a great resource starting point too. Great. Thank you. Okay. So what do you what do you think is the next step for you? Um, the next step would be, like I said, I will reach out to that realtor to see if I can, um, you know, if they would be inclined to a different offer. And, you know, if I have to do a mailing campaign. I think don't even ask. I think just put it together. Just put it just together. Put it together. Of, okay. Because... The then the because the agent can say, oh, no, I don't think they'll go for that. But once you're given the the offer, the agent is ethically responsible to even though Tony had told us a little situation where, you know, he didn't think his offer was getting to the seller. But most agents have a, a moral responsibility to submit your offer to the seller. So I think if you ask beforehand, if they're open for an offer, you're asking the agent you know, if, if they think what they think and they're giving the response, not all the time, but this way your offer is getting right in front of the sellers and they're making the decision. Great. So I will submit an offer to them and then I build my list. And like I said, if I have to do a, um, I, I like to try to find their phone number, email and call them. But if I have to do a, a mailer campaign, I, I will. And I will also follow up with those two other um landlords who said that they possibly may be interested in uh, selling one of their their properties. One thing just remember, too, is that even if they say no or you get no response now, like months down the road, they could come back to you. I sent a mailers out a year ago and I just got a call in. So it was December. I think they everybody got them like to December 23rd of 2021. And this past October, I got a, a phone call again from somebody who said he got the mailer in December. He was ready to sell now. So it just goes to show that people will hold on to your mailers too. And I definitely like that concept because, you know, I'm I'm a huge advocate of networking, you know, you know, just because 
it's a not right now. It doesn't mean it's going to be a, a never end because this area has been monopolized by just a handful of landlords. You know, I, I've, I've started to build a really good name where I've worked with two different sellers where I put together off market deals myself. And so now these local title companies and, you know, inspection people are like, you know, Lawrence, that that, that kid knows what he's doing. Like he, he if he says he's going to do it, it's not a matter of if, but when. <laughs> I love that. And just something else to think about, Lawrence, as you're submitting some of these offers is to, uh, and this is something Ashley talks about a lot as well, is, is to give the sellers different options. Um, so for example, we're trying to buy a hotel over the summer and we gave them different options on the seller finance deal that we were putting together. One had a higher price point with slightly higher interest, but a, a lower down payment. Another option had a higher down payment, but then the the other terms were a little bit more favorable for us. So I think, you know, if you want to get to where you're putting down no more than you said 15% or 7% based on what pay said, offer that as another option. And maybe even if it's a slightly higher purchase price, um, it still works out better for you because the, the down payment is going to be smaller. Um, so just play around with different options. I feel like you only have to give them one when you when you do submit those offers. Awesome. I greatly appreciate the feedback. Well, Lawrence, thanks so much for coming back on with us. Um, we always love uh, having you on and just your energy and it, it motivates us to, to, <laughs> to keep going and keeps us excited. So we appreciate that. Thank you. I can't stop, won't stop. <laughs> yeah, awesome. we love to hear that. So we'll check back in with you in a couple weeks. Awesome. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my 9-to-5 job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring? Your search is over. Really, there's no need to search. Match instead with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates super fast. Ditch the busy work, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to hire top talent faster. Speaking of top talent, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. But why do I love Indeed? Because I'm busy and scrolling through 300 resumes is not helping my business grow. It's actually making it slow. With Indeed, I can hire faster and know I'm getting someone who can do the job. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to post your jobs with more visibility at Indeed.com slash rookie. Just go to Indeed.com slash rookie right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash rookie. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
When Bigger Pockets started podcasting, no one thought we needed a store, but then books, so many books, best-selling books, rookie books, partnership books. We needed the best real estate bookstore ever, so we chose Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch stage to the first order stage to the, did we just sell out the whole store stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling real estate books or retro clothing, Shopify's platform helps you sell everywhere, online or in person. Now, speaking of online, did you know Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better than other leading commerce platforms? And no matter how big you grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control of your business. And that's why we chose Shopify for the bigger pocket bookstore. So sign up for a $1 per month trial at shopify.com slash BP rookie, all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash BP rookie now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash BP rookie. Whether you need to buy or sell, or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. Melanie, welcome back to the show. Uh, thank you for coming on again. Can you let everybody know what you've been up to the last couple of weeks? Sure. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me back. Good to see you guys. Um, it's definitely been an eventful couple of weeks. I would say since we last chatted, I was really looking a lot at Florida and deep diving into just like a very specific area and really had my heart set on that. Um, but following our, our discussion, I was my homework was to look at some other areas, do some exploration of other locations, and then um, also to submit some offers. And um, I I would say that I jumped into looking at other locations like pretty immediately. I thought just like, okay, what else am I somewhat familiar with? What do I know about you know to Tony's earlier recommendation, um, some of the tourism draws, or some of the reasons people would come to an area. And so I started looking in St. Louis and Kansas City because I felt like those might be areas that might be, you know, like not the first location you would think of, um, but also had some potential. And, uh, you know, pretty much right off the bat, I could see that there were there were places in my price range, but I was getting a little bit more freaked out about occupancy, just seeing that almost like. 90% of the the Airbnbs I was looking at had zero bookings for anywhere from like two to three upwards of six months out. And so I was just kind of doing a little questioning of like, okay, is this the market? Is this the particular area? Is it that the draw to these areas is just slower right now? So I started to get a little bit of cold feet and I started to think, you know, like, okay, I'm exploring a couple areas. I can definitely look into a few more. Well, like, am I really going the right route here right now with an STR? 
Um, and randomly, I had this opportunity pop up in Denver, and it was like a multifamily that just had all of these shiny things about it that I was so excited about. And so I kind of went down that rabbit hole a little bit, and um, like I won't get too sidetracked, but ultimately, I wanted to refocus and recenter myself. And so I went back to looking at some other locations, and um, on the forums, actually, I found um, a realtor that was talking about some unincorporated unincorporated areas in Savannah. And it just looked really appealing to me. And so um, I started poking around a lot and found some things about Savannah I really liked and some beautiful properties and a really great price point. Um, and so I've, I've chased that a little bit more. Um, I'm working with an agent. He's sending me some, some listings. Um, I got pre-approved for uh, hopefully a 10% down, but 10, 15 or 20% down payment. And um, basically I feel really excited about Savannah. I feel like there's a lot of opportunity. I started uh, making a spreadsheet just with all of these locations and really starting to run analyses on all of these different properties that were popping up. And I feel like there have been some some um, viable options in Savannah Um and now my challenge is to make that offer, make that first offer, which was your recommendation, Ashley. Um, my only hesitancy has been making sure I'm approved, making sure I have a lender and just getting a little more comfortable with that analysis. Um, but in general, like I had this full panic of, okay, I'm going the wrong direction. And I kind of just slowed down and reevaluated a little bit. And I feel like I'm back on track and, and have a good feeling about this particular area. Melanie, um, okay, that's great. I'm glad that you have, you know, refocused yourself and you've even narrowed down a, a market now that you really want to focus on. I actually have two questions for Tony that were kind of brought up with what you're talking about. And I'm curious as to Tony, what have you seen for lead times as far as bookings on properties? And then because I know I've seen on Instagram people post that they're still getting bookings, but it's just it's not, you know, they're not booking three months out. They're maybe booking three weeks out or things like that. So, Tony, I'm interested to hear that. Then also, Tony, what's your take on the Savannah market? Do you know anything about it as a short-term rental? Yeah, two two really good questions, uh, Ash. So, yes, booking lead times for us across the portfolio have been significantly lower than they were in 2021. Like this time last year in 2021, we got Christmas booked out by like the end of September, right? Um, this time Christmas was booking out like a few weeks ago. Um, so I think the, the, the habits of travelers have shifted between last year and this year. So across the board, you are seeing more last minute bookings. So I don't think I would be super concerned if I'm looking at a calendar for a market and I see that, you know, 30, 60 days out, there's still a bunch of gaps in the calendar. What I would look for is, uh, data to show, okay, how are those, uh, listings pacing over the last 365 days. What does their pricing look like over the next 365 days? And use that data to help me determine whether or not it's a it's a viable option. What does their occupancy look like over the last 30 days, right? Because looking back 30 days might give you a better understanding than if you look forward 30 days. Um, so so things to consider. To answer your second question, actually, about, um, about Savannah, I actually don't know anything about Savannah. Um, the only market I've really looked at in Georgia was Blue Ridge. And we did that, um, not even as a, as a super deep dive, 
But Melanie, it sounds like you found some things there that you feel will draw folks in and that the price points make sense for you. Is that is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, that was a major factor for sure. Let's go through some of those items. Like what are the things that you looked at in the market that you think are big draws that will bring people in? Um, so, I mean, obviously it's by the coast. There's a lot of um, people that are drawn to those islands like Tybee Island and um, a few others. There's also an Air Force base. Um, there's a small college that's, I guess, small. It's got 13,000 students, but um, well-known in the area. Um, uh, I believe that like, it's a school of art and technology. Um, I want to say the, the initials are SCAD or something, SCAD or SCAT. Um, and then also the historic district is a huge draw. I will say that in looking at some of that data, there are uh, properties that are still kind of like 50% or 39% occupancy. So I don't think it's necessarily like, um, you know, not 84 or 90% occupancy, um, which of course, you know, the, the higher the occupancy, the better. Um, but they were still, at least the data I was looking at with Rabu, uh, they were still, you know, uh, generating for example, like $3,300 in revenue on a $1,900 a month mortgage or something. And I'm trying to be like exceptionally conservative with my numbers and factor in um, property management because I will be out of state and that lower occupancy. Um, so I hope that answered your question. Yeah, it does. And I think that that's all good data to look at. I would, um, I would also use a website like either Price Labs or AirDNA. Um, I think they give you a little bit more granular data than a Rabu does. I haven't spent much time on Rabu, but I know AirDNA and Price Labs are, are super catered towards the short-term rental industry. And you get a, you get a ton of data when you look at those things. Um, so it, it sounds like you're you're happy with that market. Have you have you looked into the, the like the policies of Savannah? Like, is it easy to get a short-term rental permit? Do you even have to get a permit? Like, what is that? What does that whole process look like? Yeah, so in Savannah proper, uh, there's a lot more restrictions, but in the unincorporated Chatham County, which is kind of just on the perimeter, um, it's much easier. And a lot of the property management companies help you go through that process. They are tightening some restrictions, um, but there's still a lot of opportunity. There's still permits available. And I ask that question because not even the, the fact that th there are tight restrictions isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, if anything, it, it almost protects the people that are willing to go through those, jump through those hoops and get those permits because not everyone's going to be willing to do that. Um, so if you are one of those hosts who have one of those harder to get permits, it almost helps because it it keeps in not a hard cap, but some, some almost like a soft cap or an artificial cap on the supply of short-term rentals, which again, if you're one of those that are operating it, it actually helps you. Um, so have you, have you submitted any offers yet in Savannah? I haven't. No, I've just been trying to do, you know, like four to five, uh, analyzed four to five properties over the last couple of days. Um, I did explore some opportunities to do seller financing. It was kind of similar to Lawrence's terms that he mentioned where um, the seller was offering, you know, like a 7% interest rate and 20% down. And I was kind of thinking like, I'd rather just get a, a loan from a bank. Um, uh, so no, that's definitely my next uh action item is to submit a couple of offers. And I'm, you know, willing and ready to submit those lowball offers. I think I just, you know, wanted to make sure the analysis fit. I sent over a couple examples of my analysis to my agent who's closed about 30 SDRs this year, just to see like, 
these are my numbers. Do these look like your numbers? Should I be more conservative? Do you have any recommendations? Um, and so I, I feel like I'm I'm at that point where I'm ready to start making a couple of offers. Melanie, you had put a question for us, too, in our group Slack channel about seller financing. So did you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, thanks for mentioning that. Yeah, one was about like how, how the payments work. Okay, you got the deal under contract, it closed on it, your attorney has put together, you know, an agreement. And to kind of start from there is that your attorney will, you know, do your closing documents that you would usually have, but it will also do a promissory note that goes along with the contract. And that's where it will state that you owe the seller of the property X amount of dollars and then the terms of the agreement, like what's the interest rate, what's the amortization schedule, what's your monthly payment, things like that, and how the repayment period works. Um, so what were some of the the questions you had about that? Yeah, I think, you know, it just, I, I've never had a promissory note. And so I think I just was wondering what that actually looks like in practice. Do you have uh, buyers who slowly stop paying? How is that managed and kind of monitored? It seems so unofficial in some ways. And I just wondered, you know, for my for my long-term rental, they just send me a check once a month. And so I assume it's as simple as that. But I feel like without that formal entity of a bank or a lender, it just seems a little less... Uh, easy to monitor. So kind of curious in your experiences, what that actually did look like month over month and if there were ever any issues with it. So I've done it both ways. I've done it where I was doing the seller financing and somebody was paying me and then I've also paid somebody for seller financing. In both times, it was a check set out. Um, I had it set up as auto pay. So my check would go out on the first of the month to them. And then the same with... Um, the person that was paying me, they had it on auto pay where it's just set up to go. So you're just just like you would pay a mortgage payment. You're just putting you're just sending them a check. You're maybe doing an ACH directly into their bank account. And that's when I do seller financing offers. I do add that piece in there that it will be direct deposited into their bank account on this date every single month, too. It's just kind of like hopefully something a little extra that they'll appreciate to accept my offer. But then say they don't pay, they don't pay, then that's where it's your responsibility to contact your attorney, most likely the one that drew up the promissory note. And that's where you would go through the foreclosure process just as a bank would. They would use the bank would use their attorney to go through that same formal process. The actual process of that depends on each state, like New York State. You could pretty much pay for two years before they actually kick you out of your house for a foreclosure. Texas, I think it's like a way shorter time period where it's so much easier to get people out. And that's why a lot of um, investors do offer seller financing or do land leases and things like that, because it's so, e so much easier to get people out, take the house back and then go ahead and do seller financing again. And, and have you ever had to go through that foreclosure process yourself? No, I haven't. Um, I haven't had to. Which is a good thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fingers crossed it stays that way. Yeah. Any other questions about that, Melanie? You know, I guess, actually, I guess, yes. One other thing. In a lot of seller financing deals, I feel like the biggest appeal is probably a lower down payment. And so when you see still a 20% down payment, if the interest rate is dramatically 
lower than what banks are lending at currently, then it's, you know, uh, green lights all the way. But I think, you know, I'm curious if there's other things about a seller finance deal that I'm not considering um, that may get more appealing and more interesting. Um, One thing that I think of offhand is convenience. So just like having to go through a bank it may be more of a, it's a longer process. You have to put more paperwork in. You have to fill out more forms, all these things. So there's the convenience method of it, that doing seller financing, you really don't have to do any of that, the formal application, things like that, doing seller financing. Another thing too is, like you said, the down payment, but also the interest rate. If, you know, the the person's just going to have that money sitting in their bank account, well, instead of having the money from the sale sit in their bank account and make you know, 1% interest off of it. Instead, they're going to charge you 4% interest, which is still way better than, you know, the 7% interest you could get at the bank today is paying that 4% interest, but you're both making out. In that example, you're both making more than, you know, what you would if you went to the bank and they just put that money into their bank account. So that's another thing to consider too. And then a big advantage for the seller is the tax advantages. So the fact that instead of them taking a lump sum when they sell the property, now their tax taxable income is being spread out over the course of the loan. So instead of getting, you know, say you sell the they sell the property for a hundred thousand dollars, well, their tax bracket just increased because now they have a higher income based off of selling that investment property. Where if they do seller financing, they've only made so much off of you in year one out of 20 years, the loan is amortized. So it keeps them into that lower tax bracket and they'll owe less taxes. So that's a, a big advantage as to why a lot of people do the seller financing. Uh, so one thing I always do is like hint at ask sellers if they're willing to do seller financing. They say no right away. I just say, oh, okay. I just didn't know if your CPA had mentioned the tax benefits of it. And then that kind of puts a little buzz in their ear. Yeah. I mean, and I think the other big thing too, is that you can really create an offer that speaks to what's important to that seller. Um, For example, maybe the seller is just most concerned with getting the absolute highest purchase price, but maybe the property won't appraise for the price that they're looking for. But if you're doing a seller financing position, they're the ones that that are, you know, that are on the hook for the property. So if they want to sell it for more than what it's worth, and that's only working out in their favor. Uh, whereas if you're going with a traditional bank, if the seller wanted, you know, half a million bucks, but the property's only worth 300000 it, it's not going to fly that way. So I think there's more flexibility to listen to what is important to that seller and then give them an offer that really speaks to to kind of what, what what's motivating them. Okay. The last thing I was going to say was it seems like if cash is the the thing that the seller wants more than anything that becomes like a seller financing deal killer because they want to cash out and walk away. And ultimately you're only going to pay your down payment and then uh, a payment over time with interest. So that was kind of a a learning with the multifamily I looked at this last couple of weeks. Um, But thank you so much for talking a little bit about that. That's really helpful for me. Yeah. And thank you so much for coming on again with us uh, this week. And we look forward to talking to you again in a couple of weeks. Thank you. Still you try so hard. Oh,
market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals, enter a few details about what and where you want to buy, and boom, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. There's free resources only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.